Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. Nation, each and every year, I start out this podcast with talking about planning. Well, this is something that we take very seriously in the Rising Tide Mastermind. In fact, we have a very specific way that we go about it, and then we share those goals with the people within our mastermind because they are going to help us get those things accomplished. You've heard me say dozens of times, life is too short and too hard to do it alone, and there's no reason you need to try. To find out if the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. My name is Trace Blackmore, the host of the Scaling Up H2O podcast, episode 298, so close to 300. And if you've been a longtime listener, you know we are well over 300 shows. For some reason, I thought it would be genius to play around with the numbering of our shows. So we had 11.1, 11.2, because they were all related. I don't know why I did that. There's a lot of things that we start out and we think we are doing something because we're putting our own little spin on them and there's just no reason to do that. So our show numbering is evidence of that. Uh, I haven't counted exactly how many shows we are. I know we're over 300, but we decided when we finally got our wits about us, and I say we, it was me, and decided to just count the shows one at a time, we decided that we were going to keep all the points the way they were. So we're officially at 298. That means in just two more episodes, we will be at episode 300. And folks, that is a milestone to have a podcast that's been on the air for five years, to have a podcast that is almost 300 episodes. That's pretty cool. And again, I just want to use that for encouragement to everybody out there because we all start something new. And when we start something new, it's the first time we've done it. And a lot of times we're doing it a lot out of faith and we don't have a lot of experience, if any, to back that up. So let this podcast be inspiration to you that the first step is the hardest you're going to make some mistakes. You might number whatever you're doing weird, but you're going to learn from those mistakes and you will get better. But it starts with that first step. So here is my ask to you. What is that first step that you need to take on that one thing that you want to do that you have not done yet? Folks, it all starts with one step, and pretty soon, you'll be doing it 300 times. Nation, another number that I want to shout out is the number 37. We are ranked number 37 in Portugal of all podcasts that are listened to there. Never thought that would happen when I started... 298 episodes ago when I had no idea what I was doing. So thank you, Portugal. I 
am just amazed that we are number 37 in Portugal, and we have so many listeners there. So for everybody in Portugal, thank you for listening. For everybody in the Scaling Up Nation, thank you for listening. Thank you for letting everybody you come in contact with that's in this industry that we have a podcast just for us. And it allows us to know that we're not by ourselves. We're not just driving from account to account and nobody else is doing that. But when you listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, you know that there are other people listening. You know that there are other people out there that are doing the same thing that you are doing. And that means we are part of the community. And that community is called Scaling Up Nation. Of course, if you want to know what's going on, you can go straight to our show page, which is scalinguph2o.com. And there you can go over to the events section and you will learn everything that we know about that's going on in our industry. So here are a few things. The American Chemical Society is having their Crossroads of Chemistry show in Indianapolis, Indiana. That's going to be March 26th through 30th. They also have a hybrid version of that. So if that is something that interests you, I know we have a lot of people that are members of the American Chemical Society within the Scaling Up Nation so that's something you might want to check into. Also, the American Water Works Association is having their Sustainable Water Management Conference April 16th through 19th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And this is a conference about managing water resources, sustaining utilities and infrastructure, urban planning and design, and efficiency and conservation all around water. If this is something you want to learn more about, go to our show page where we have everything listed under events. Also, coming up March 22nd is World Water Day. Just around the corner, it is a celebration where the entire world acknowledges that, hey, this water stuff is pretty important. Not everybody has direct access to it. And this is a day where we can bring awareness to that. We're going to do some things on this show to bring awareness to it. And one of the things we're going to encourage you to do is sign up for the Global 6K. We're going to have information on our webpage. We're going to talk a lot more about that on our special episode for World Water Day. A lot of people have already gone to ScalingUpH2O.com and signed up to join our team to run in the 6K. But we're going to have so much more information about that. If you don't want to wait, you can go to our show page and you can look at all of that. We've already had one of these. We are going to have the second one of these, March 29th through April 1st in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminars. We do one on the west side. Now we're doing one on the east side. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I sure hope that I see you there because I'll be there. I am one of the presenters and it's always good to meet people within the Scaling Up Nation. So uh, please do not hesitate to come up and introduce yourself to me. 
And as always, if you've got a show idea, I want to know about that because that's how we have almost 300 shows. Nation, we've got so much going on. It's hard to keep track. I know it's hard to take notes when you're driving from account to account. So that is why the great staff here at Scaling Up H2O has put together a great resource on our webpage. If you have not been there in a while, it is so easy to search the content. If you're looking for a particular show, a particular guest, a particular topic, you will be able to find that by searching. They've done a great job of making sure that keywords are listed. Everything has a transcript. So even if there's an obscure word there that you're searching for, it'll most likely find that transcript. But also up there is an event section, and that has absolutely everything that we know about. We know about that because you've told us. So if there's something that's not up there, please tell us that, and we will get it up there. So you have a one-stop place to go to see all the things that are going on in our community. Now, before we get to our guest, we are going to go to everybody's favorite segment. Of course, that's Periodic Water Table with James. Hello and welcome to the Periodic Water Table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's Periodic Water Table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is... Zinc. Not just a dietary supplement, but an industrial water treatment chemical too. What is zinc used for in water treatment? How does it function? Does zinc work better alone or along with other water treatment chemicals? How does pH impact zinc, and what can be done about it? What's a typical dosage level for zinc? What could happen if it is overfed? How about underfed? Are there any restrictions that may prevent the use of zinc? Do any of the products you currently use have zinc in them? Can you test for zinc in the field? If so, how? Remember, knowledge is power. And taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learn to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. James, thank you for that. And just imagine at the end of the year how smart we are all going to be because of all of the great ideas that James is giving us. James, thanks for all you do with that. We get smarter each and every week. Nation, a few years ago, I went up to visit our next guest, and I learned so much during that visit. I came back to my own place of business, and I immediately started putting the things that I learned into place. It was a game changer. It was something that did not take a huge investment to do, and it allowed everybody to work better. Well, I'm not going to keep that to myself. That's why we're inviting our next guest on the show, and here he is right now. 
My lab partner today is Brian Katarski of Aquaphoenix Scientific. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Trace. I'm just living my best life every day. I was trying to think, how long have you and I known each other? It's got to be at least a decade. Uh, it's go, it's got to be closer to 18 years. That's how long I've been with Aqua Phoenix. And I it had to be really early on in my career, the first year or two that we actually met. So, And it's very difficult for me during this interview to call you Brian. I have known you <laughs> as Goose through that entire time. So if I slip up, that's his nickname, Scaling Up Nation. So I have to ask, how did you get a nickname like that? You know, it's uh, it's like the Liberty Valance thing, you know, when the truth and the legend collide, you you print the legend. So I don't know. I've had that nickname since I was a young kid and just starting to walk. And um, certainly, um, if they were going to put an obituary in for me back at home where I grew up, they'd have to add Goose to the title. Otherwise, nobody would show up. So uh, it's followed me ever since I was a kid all the way up until where I am today. I remember there was a time when you said, I'm trying to separate myself from that nickname, and I failed miserably. I wanted to honor that request, and I couldn't do it, and I kept on combining Goose and Brian every time I would say your name, and finally you just said, don't worry about it. It's okay. Yeah, totally fine. I, it doesn't bother me one bit. A um, lot of people in our, in our industry still call me that, and it's no, no problem at all. I just As I started to mature, I guess, which is a strong word. Uh, into my career and started managing folks. It just felt like a good time to start shedding the nickname and trying to be a little more professional, which again, isn't all that easy for us. Yeah, I did not help with that. So my apologies. I've got Brian highlighted on all of my notes. So I'm hoping to call (laughs) you Brian through this, but it is going to be a struggle. So bear with me. No worries. No worries. So tell us a little bit about Brian Katarski. So I, uh, I am a recovering redneck and, and yinzer, I would call myself. So I grew up in, in western Pennsylvania in a small town called Norvelt, which is uh, close to Greensburg and Latrobe, that area. And Norvelt was actually named after Eleanor Roosevelt. It was a, a New Deal town that they uh, created right after the Depression. So, but my family had a dairy farm out there. So I grew up and spent a lot of my childhood on the farm uh, raising uh, cows. I was part of the 4-H club. Was actually a, a, the president of my 4-H club at one point. So, but you know, I think growing up on the farm, you kind of learn to be a little bit good at a lot of different things. So I'd say I was an inch deep and a mile wide, always learning from the my, my family, my grandfather, my uncles, on how to be resourceful and, and solve your own problems. So from there, I ended up somehow randomly in central Pennsylvania for for college. I went to uh, Elizabethtown, and while there, I met a guy named Frank Lacrone and uh, completely changed the trajectory of my life. So I uh, met him as a junior and uh, been working for him ever since. And that would have been, gosh, in 2003. So now I'm at Aquaphoenix Scientific, uh, worked my way up through that organization. And I, uh, I recently took over as our vice president of sales there. It's an incredible story. I love it when people find what they want to do early and they stick with it and they just excel at it. Yeah. No. And I think it, you know, plays to what I enjoy. Right. I, I don't I had no idea what I wanted to do when I went to college. I thought you could be a teacher or a farmer because that's what my parents did. Uh, and fortunately, like I said, I kind of ran to Frank. And in the early years of our company, I got to do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats and um, spend a ton of time on our operations, continuous improvement, all those things. And eventually led me again to where I am today. Aquaphoenix has definitely changed since its inception. Can you take us through some of those changes? Absolutely, yeah. So I want to say I was maybe the eighth or ninth employee there. I don't know if we had more than 10 when I first started uh, in 2005. And 
Since then, we've gone through three different buildings. We're now on our third since I've been there. We just expanded that one. We now have 300 employees because of a recent acquisition with um, Cometrics in Virginia. And uh, our main facility in Hanover is 300,000 square feet now. So when I see kind of where we started and where we got, I, I still shake my head sometimes and think, how did we do this? You know, those early years, it was like duct tape and horsepower and let's figure this thing out. And somehow we, uh, we pulled it together into a, I would say, almost respectable business, you know? Now, I'm going to say this, and I hope you don't get inundated with requests for it, but one of my favorite things, one of my favorite stories about you and your company is I grew up in Virginia. We had Utz potato chips. We moved down here to Georgia. Now we can get Utz potato chips, but we we used to not be able to do that, and they were just such a childhood memory. And my favorite thing of all time are the Crab Utz potato chips. They have Old Bay seasoning on them. You learned about this, and then for the longest time, my packing material inside all the shipments you sent were Utz potato chips. It was just fantastic customer service. I could not wait to order more stuff from you so I could get potato <laughs> chips. Yeah, you bet. Anybody uh, hit me up, send me a message, give me a call, and I'll, I'll try to get some chips sent out to you in your next delivery. Maybe not with your chemicals. I might send us a separate box these days, but yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, when I came up to visit you, you actually took me to the plant and... Oh my gosh, to live near there. First off, there are potato chips and there are Utz potato chips. And they are by far elevated from anything you think you have had. But all the locals there have these big tins and they just go in and fill these tins up. They're like, oh, that's like 30 cents. I mean, they're they're hardly anything. Yeah, no. And and there's also a rumor and I I haven't proven it to be true yet, but I've heard that they have um, some women that work on the production line that have been there forever and they pick out the perfect chip off the production line. And for special events or corporate gatherings, they actually have a tin of perfect potato chips for it. But again, I don't know if that's legend or truth. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of that one, but I've heard anyway. I love that. Who ate the perfect chips? Somebody. I thought you I had the tin. Yeah. I don't have them, though. No. <laughs> they never gave them to me. So. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you about um, what is it like now you've been in every position in Aquafenix. Now you're in the sales management position. What is that like? It's different. You know, every role that you you go into is going to be a little bit different, but I I just feel so fortunate that I was able to come up through our business and grow with it because you understand the various parts and pieces and, you know, still get them wrong every now and again. You know, there's things that I, I think are a great idea in my mind and then we figure out later on it wasn't. But, you know, pouring the chemicals on the floor, being down there and and working orders out the door, doing customer service, all those different roles, I think really helps you get ready for a role like this. And so much of our success comes back to that culture and that drive, right, to continuously improve, to provide tremendous customer service. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, I still have that. I feel that every day. And so to be able to push that down into the new folks we hire and the new folks we bring on board, is just so big for us. I think you guys do a fantastic job of that. And random question, when do you listen to the Scaling Up H2O podcast? When I'm on my grass. It's the official podcast of mowing my lawn. So it, for whatever reason, it works out perfectly that I like finish my lawn right as the podcast is kind of ending up. So every Saturday, I throw on my earbuds and go mow the grass. 
So when I was trying to figure out when I was going to release the episodes, and I, and I changed around in the beginning, I was trying to get some market data and trying to figure it out. And I don't think there's any right day to release a podcast, but you said you always listened on Saturday. So I said, you know what? We're going to release it on Friday. So it's ready for Goose when he mows his lawn. You bet. And then unfortunately in the winter, I just have to listen to it on my drive into work, but um, can't wait for the grass to start growing again so I can get back out there and get in the groove. A couple of years ago, and I can't remember exactly what year it was, I came up and I visited you all. And this is when you were in your other facility. Mm-hmm. And you were showing me how you organized your warehouse. And I was just fascinated. If you remember, I, I couldn't stop asking questions. I couldn't stop taking notes. And then we came back here and we lovingly copied everything that you guys did at Aqua Phoenix. And we've since grown since then. And I don't think we'd be able to find anything if we did not institute that. I got so much out of that visit. I was hoping to bring that visit into the podcast world, give it as a gift to the Scaling Up Nation so they can learn all of the fantastic things that you guys do at Aquafenix Scientific around your warehouse. Yeah, absolutely. Just like us, to grow as quickly as we did, we had to be disciplined. We had to have good processes in place. And so fortunately, um, when Frank first started the company, he was so lean and strapped for resources, we had no choice but to do it that way. Uh, and one of the things we love is sharing that information and, and giving tours of our facility and letting other people know what's worked well for us, uh, because it, it has. It's made a huge difference in, uh, in our success. I remember when I got home, you had sent me a book, and the book really catalyzed all the things that you were sharing with me. One, thank you for that. And second, do you mind sharing what that book was and what you get out of it? Yeah, it's a, a book called The Goal by Elijah Goldratt. And, um, it, you know, it's written kind of like a fable, like a story, uh, which I know you, you enjoy from your uh, your Pat Lancioni books. But uh, it basically walks you through a story of a production manager who, who's trying to save their facility. And it, it takes you through different stories of their life to explain some of the theories of constraints and essentially how lean manufacturing works. And um, it was handed to me very early on in my career by the gentleman who's now our, our chief operating officer, a guy named uh, Jeff Guyman. And he suggested that I read that book. And I still, every couple of years, go back and reread it just to kind of get re-energized and remember what it was that sort of headed me down that continuous improvement lean manufacturing path. A lot of people have warehouses. Some people don't. I'm sure that there are still going to get great information on this because we have to organize stuff. And what we're going to talk about today is just about organizing stuff. We're just going to focus on the warehouse. But let's face it, there's some warehouses that I think manage the people, and then there are people that manage their warehouses. So maybe maybe let's start with that. Somebody, or maybe we even use you as the example, realize that something needs to be done. What do you do then? Ooh, so I think the first step is you nailed it. You have to recognize it and own it right? Like you have to actually appreciate that, look, this isn't working. We have to do something different. And that's not easy, Trace. Uh, you know, a lot of um, a lot of leaders and owners and uh, key people at organizations, they have some of that, you know, not invented here mindset that if they didn't come up with the idea, it's not good. And I would say, 
that is one thing at Aqua Phoenix we don't have. Uh, and from the beginning, we haven't had that. It's been a, everybody has a voice. Let's figure out the best way to get something done. And if we find an issue, let's celebrate it. If we find a problem, let's call it out, right? Um, and then focus on how do we fix it? How do we make it better? Um, and so that's kind of, like I said, I, I think that is step number one is identifying it. And then beyond that, it's, okay, how do we fix it? Let's get creative. Let's think through it as a group. And, and how do we solve that issue? And one of the other big things is, is get help outside your org, right? Find somebody with an outside set of eyes who maybe has experience in this that can uh, come in and, and help you organize what it is you're doing so that you make it a repeatable and sustainable type of a, a practice. When I was visiting you, I saw something called a CSI board. I asked you questions about it and you were like, oh, they're having a meeting right now. Come on in. Tell the Scaled Up Nation what that is. Yeah, so that, that stands for Concerns, Suggestions, and Improvements. And it was basically a, a board. It was an idea that Frank kind of had that it was an easel with a, a pad of paper on it. And employees could go up and write down any idea they had to fix something in our facility. And, and when I say anything, I mean like the toilet paper's you know, not soft enough. Like if that's something that is annoying somebody at the office and we can fix it, then let's do it. Let's take care of it. What's funny is since then, we've actually gotten away from those because they started getting a little bit stagnant, a little bit stale. And so we uh, we now have a continuous improvement manager and he's kind of changed things to where he has this up theme from the movie Up. So he puts on like an aviator mask or uh, aviator hat and these aviator glasses or goggles or whatever. And um, our employees now have ideas. They go to him with the ideas. And so we can implement them quickly and more rapidly. So instead of just writing ideas down on those CSI boards and then once a month meeting and trying to figure out how we implement them, we've actually kind of scrapped them and taken them off the production floor. We now have people going directly to, uh, to Kyle on our team and we implement these changes much more rapidly. Take photos of them, celebrate them, share them around. We actually have a big bulletin board on the production floor. And I looked uh, just just yesterday, we had 400 plus suggestions that came in last year. And we implemented um, like 260 or something along those lines of those suggestions. And some of them are big and some of them are small, but they all have a, um, a growing effect and eventually improve everything that's happening inside the facility. I can imagine if somebody's just getting started to implement something like you just described, the team member feels like they're going to be singled out if they say something is wrong. How do you get past that? Uh, you know, again, it kind of comes from the top. And so, uh, you know, a good story on this is Frank had the best idea ever. Um, we, we ship things as quickly as we possibly can. And if you place an order today, we want it to go out today. And so we call those orders that have to get out ship shores, right? Has to ship, has to ship for sure today, ship shores. So Frank had this idea, let's put a, uh, a light above our label room. And so whenever that order comes in and it's a ship shore, we'll turn on this red light that'll flash around. Everybody will see it and they'll know there's an order we have to take care of right now. So he brings in an electrician, has the light installed, all these things. And about two days later, one of our employees goes, uh, and she actually, I think used to babysit him back in the day. So she called him Frankie. She goes, Frankie? why don't we just get on the intercom and say shipshore? And he, he started laughing and said, this was the dumbest idea I've ever had. Let's tear that thing down. Let's start back over and let's go with your idea. That's going to work better. And so again, it's doing things like that to just show like, hey, we're going to change. Things are going to improve. We have to we have to do things differently every day. And it doesn't matter if you're the, the president or if you know, you're the newest employee we have. If you have a good idea or a bad idea, we're going to either implement it or we're not, right? But either way, we have to give those and have to try things. 
So for somebody that says, we want to hear your ideas, we're going to consider them, what if the idea maybe isn't the best idea? How do you report back to the person saying, thank you for the idea, but that's not something we're going to change? It's just that, truly. And and it's also, you know, they may have an idea that gets you halfway to where you want to get. Implement it. Do it, right? Get the little win. Get halfway to the goal you're trying to achieve. Celebrate it and then continue to improve beyond that. But it is the communication part. You know, even if the worst thing you can do is ghost somebody, right? They give an idea, you don't implement it, but you never even tell them thanks or here's why we didn't do it. So it is the communication part that's that's really important. I remember when you were showing me around your warehouse Everything had an address, and I was just fascinated by that because, let's face it, in water treatment, we have so many different parts. Not everybody can know what they are. They definitely can't know where they are, but now you've implemented a system, which we totally copied, by the way, and everything in here has an address. So I can't remember, was that UPS or FedEx? Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is, you know, part of it is going outside your organization and getting some help from other folks. And we've used a number of, of different organizations to help us over the years. But one of the, I think, big projects we did early on was we brought in UPS and they helped us with a, a process redesign where they went through and analyzed everything in our facility. Um, they brought in industrial engineers to help out with that. And it was a big project. And you know, part of it was, hey, you need to completely change the way your racks are set up. You need to change all the numbering systems you have, which was substantial. I mean, you know, talk about change management and being uncomfortable. It really kind of pushed our team to to do a lot of different things, but it was good. It almost ripped a Band-Aid off for us and got us more comfortable with that kind of extreme change. But it also taught and educated our internal teams a lot better, too, um, to understand and how to identify those things. So yeah, through that, we just did different things on how we label our racking, how we um, number the different slots and locations, how we organize our inventory um, to make it more efficient to pick it, looking at ergonomics and things like that. And it, I think it, it really helped kick off that lean journey that we started, you know, and, and they call it a journey because it never ends. Um, that was, gosh, probably 15 years ago we did that the first time, and we're still trying to improve everything every day. It's amazing how much that helps. Uh, somebody that runs an office that needs to run out into the warehouse to check to see if we have the part, they've never seen that part before, but they know where the address is. It's amazing how much that can help your facility. Yeah. And again, it, it goes back to lean manufacturing, right? Like lean principles and um, trying to eliminate those eight deadly wastes. Um, you know, the, the downtime acronym that they use to describe all the wastes um, and travel being one of them. Uh, if you have to walk out and look for things or you can't find it and you're you're wandering around the warehouse, that's all non-value add time. That's time you could have spent picking an order that was going to ship or um, working on an order uh, or answering a phone, taking care of a customer or something like that. I have to ask, what's the acronym? Oh, gosh. I know you're going to put me on the spot. All right. So that, the acronym is downtime. Uh, and these are the what they call the eight wastes of uh, any production process. And so what this means is in the lead time that you have to get something out the door, so from the time you get an order to get it out the door, customers want to pay for the value-added time versus the non-value-added time. And typically, of the lead time, 95% of that is considered non-value-added time. And you can identify these by using the acronym downtime. So here we go. The D is uh, defects. So that's any sort of defect or error in what it is you're pulling together manufacturing so um, crooked label, um, loose cap, something like that, right? So 
D. O is overproduction. And this is probably the worst waste because it amplifies all of the other ones. So if you have a defect and then you make too much of it, now you have that defect on even more product, right? So it's overproducing or putting too much inventory in place. All right, D-O-W, uh, waiting. W is waiting. So that's where, you know, if you think about in a, in a process within a warehouse, if um, the people who are going to do the work on the production floor are waiting on inventory to be received in, let's say, at the, at the uh, dock, that time that they're spending waiting on that product is all wasted time. It's gone. And non-utilized people skills. I'm actually coming up with these from memory too, by the way. I don't have it written down. Um, you do a great. Non-utilized people skills. So this is like, you know, you have somebody that um, has a specialty, like a chemist, right? And, and instead of doing their chemistry work, they're actually doing more like inventory management or somebody even on the production floor has a great idea and you don't listen to it. That, you're not utilizing their people skills very well, right? So those are all what we'd call non-utilized people skills. T is travel. And that's like physically moving around. How many times you have to walk back and forth? A neat exercise we do around this is uh, what's called a spaghetti diagram. And that's where you uh, literally have a, an overview of your warehouse. And let's say you have an order picker. You follow that person with like a trendle wheel, actually tracking how many steps they take. And you draw it out on a overview of the production floor. And afterwards, it looks like a bowl of spaghetti because you have all these lines going all around the, the page. But it is unbelievable how whenever you go through that process, people realize how far they really travel just to get something done. In their minds, they just walk here and walk back, but that's usually not how it goes down. So travel is, is a big waste. C-I, inventory. Um, so inventory is, again, just having too much or even too little. So if you have too much inventory, it, it eats up cash. Those are dollar bills on the shelf. If you have too little, you are holding up orders. You're not, not servicing your customers, not taking care of them. So T-I-M, motion. So motion is similar to travel. And in this case, it would be like the smaller motions you make. So if you're standing in one place and you have to reach all over to grab the tape gun, the screwdriver, the uh, utility knife, all these things, we want to try to limit that motion as much as we can. Um, so we're not reaching all over the place. And ergonomics kind of comes into some of that as well. Even with our racking, you know, like we look at how we stock things on the shelf. We put the highest moving items right at arms uh, arms height, as opposed to the slower moving items we put up high or down low, so you're not going to those quite as often, just eliminating some of those extra motions. And E is gonna be extra processing. And so this one is one of my favorites, and really all of them for that matter, it, it comes back a lot of times to that, that worst saying in the wor world, which is, well, that's the way we've always done it, right? So extra processing is you know that extra label you put on something that, extra box you put on it, the, you know, these, these little tweaks and things you're doing that don't bring value to the product or how it's used, but you do it just because you assume that's what your customer wants, or you think that's what they're asking for. Um, and sometimes when you have those conversations, you realize they don't want it. They actually, they take it out of that bag and throw that bag away. So why are we even putting it in the bag in the first place? Let's, you know, shave out some cost and share those savings with everybody. So downtime, there you go. I remembered them all. All from memory. Very impressive. That's right. A lot of years of doing it. As you were showing me your addressing system, I remember you shared a story that I don't remember if you guys lived it or if it was a warning that you always put the lowest digit on the bottom because it's easier to add on. <laughs> you don't have to redo if you add more racking. Yeah, we made a lot of mistakes early on, right? So I had this genius idea that we have our, our shelves be A, B, C, and D. 
And then, you know, throughout it, we have like slot one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever, going uh, left to right. And that was one of those obvious things that, you know, we thought was the greatest idea. Then UPS comes in and goes, you idiots. If you want to add a, a shelf E, that means you have to now like move everything around. So they were like, put A at the bottom and go upwards. And that way, if you need to add E, just throw an extra shelf at the top and it isn't as hard. So silly things like that that you, you think is such a great idea. But again, you have to be willing to accept that. Right. When you make mistakes, great. Celebrate it. Win it. You know, let's move on. Let's make it better. Never going to make that mistake again. As I was touring your warehouse, in addition to the uh, dressing, I also saw all these signs around if you break it, you make it. And you had all these little (laughs) phrases around, but I remember that one specifically. What was going on there? Yeah. This gets me to the point of doing the right thing for the right situation. And so that has to do with inventory management. So we use a Kanban system or a two bin system to handle some of our inventory on our shelves. And even though we have a very robust ERP that can manage inventory and put min maxes and things like that, for this specific set of inventory, it was actually quicker and simpler and easier to do it manually as opposed to doing it through our ERP. So we basically um, have a two bin system set up and we have a little gate that's across half of the inventory. So you're grabbing all the inventory from one side. And then as soon as you have to break that gate or you know break that little strip to get to the other inventory, that means you pull this, this Kanban card and you go get more of that product made. And so part of it is to make it fun. We, uh, you know, we have, if you break it, make it everywhere. And we use different pictures and things like that, like a broken arm and a cast and then a, a cake next to it. You know, it says, if you break it, you got to make it uh, just to kind of make it fun and sort of make it our own. Kanban was something that I fell in love with when we saw it. It solved so many issues, uh, especially around the products we get from you, because so many people are pulling from bulk to fill up their smaller containers. And the last person forgot to tell the person that orders it that, hey, we're getting low and now we're out. And now we got to figure out how do we not run an iron test on this, on, on all of our systems? Well, now we use Kanban. So tell us exactly what that is. Yeah, there's different ways to do it. And I'm sure the, the lean purists will probably tell me that, that, you know, I'm not describing Kanban the correct way, but we really use a, a two bin system is how I kind of describe it. And it's, it's having... If you picture literally two bins, one in the front, one in the back that have, you know, dropper bottles, like to your point, Trace, so small 60 ml dropper bottles in there. And you're going to pull all the inventory from the first bin. And as soon as that bin is empty and you go to grab the second bin, that's the trigger that you need to reorder a bin's worth of inventory. And so essentially what you do is you factor in what your lead time is going to be and what your usage is, depending on the number of turns of inventory you want. And you figure out what those two bin sizes are going to be. And they should equal each other. So it should be 10 and 10 or 12 and 12 or 5 and 5. And so as soon as that bin is empty, that's sort of your trigger point to say, hey, we need to order more of this. And so, again, it can physically be a bin that you move and put someplace. It could be a card that you pull and put in a, um, a collection location where once a day or twice a day or 10 times a day, somebody comes through and grabs those and then either places an order with a vendor or sends it into the manufacturing facility to get more product made and replenish the stock that's on the shelf. When I came back from Aquafenix and seeing your facility, that was one of the first things that I did. And it instantly solved the problem that I just mentioned, that we were running out of pillow packets. We were running out of certain reagents. And we we simplified it where whenever, say, a liter or gallon of reagent comes in, 
will actually mark that bottle. And once the level gets to that bottom and it's got a card taped to it, the procedure is you rip the card, you put it in the location, and now we know to order that. And I want to say sometimes it doesn't work out as best as it could, and then we got to retrain around that. But nine times out of 10, we aren't running out of things, and it just fixed that communication step instantly. You make it visual and you make it simple, right? Because the other side of that is you have to train your people. Well, you just have to remember that. Or you just have to know that when we get down to five, you should order more. And so even doing things like rubber banding half, of, or I should use my Yinzerisms, gum banding uh, half of it, right? Putting a gum band around uh, half the inventory with the card in there. Because again, it's just a visual, physical barrier you have to break. And if the person's doing that, then that should be a trigger enough for them to go, okay, I need to do something different here. I need to, I need to pull this card. I need to alert somebody. I need to give them a heads up. In everything that I read, that is the key. They physically have to do something, and then that initiates, oh, yes, I've got to do something else. I will say almost every time where this system has failed with us, it was the card was just attached to something. And they had to remember that we had to have 10 of something before they pulled the card. Well, when we then bound it together, or in the case of uh, pillow packets, maybe we have them in a special container within a container that they have to open, then that almost always works. Yeah. And it also helps with your, um, you know, making sure you have that, that FIFO, right? Uh, and making sure you're taking care of inventory and keeping fresh reagent on the shelf or fresh chemistry, you know, depending on if you're blending or not, but rotating your stock. Because then as the receiving folks come in and they're re resetting the Kanban, they're going to make sure they put the newest stuff in the back and pull the oldest stuff forward. So you also don't have that, that case where somebody's reaching to the back and grabbing the, the newer product, right? And then you have things expiring on your shelf. We were talking earlier, even people that don't have a warehouse can take advantage of this. We use this with our office supplies. You know, you talked about rubber bands. Well, I don't know why we go through so many rubber bands, but we do. And then we are out of them and then you don't have them for whatever you're using. Well, we have them bound together. So the last three packages now have a card attached to them. And then that goes to our office manager. We don't run out of rubber bands. Yeah, years ago, I actually did a presentation at AWT about how to take lean manufacturing out of the manufacturing and and moving into your day-to-day. And to that point, Trace, like, you know, think of your service vans, think of your your physical test kit that you have. Um, think about even on site at your customers. You know, if you have a, a test station there and things you're working on, um, you can apply all of these lean principles to basically everything you do. I've even tried to do it at my house in the kitchen, and I kind of got yelled at a little bit for that. But I think about downtime, you know, as I'm, as I'm laying out my kitchen, I make sure that my coffee mugs are above my coffee maker. My, my actual physical coffee is there. It's next to the fridge so I can grab my creamer easier and I'm not walking the whole way around my kitchen just to get a cup of coffee in the morning. So, But it, it fell short when it came to like putting Kanban systems in place for paper towels and toilet paper and things like that. I wasn't allowed to, to implement that. I had the exact same experience. I came home and we were out of mustard or ketchup or something. I'm like, why are we out of mustard and ketchup? So I think I bought two and I put a Kanban card on the second one. And my wife said, have you lost your mind? We are not doing this. It's like it works so well at the office, but some things just don't transfer well. They don't. Nope. No doubt about it. 
Something that we also found was very helpful. We started putting the address where things are on the Kanban card. We didn't do that originally. And then we had all these mismatched cards that weren't where they were supposed to be. And now if something falls off because the tape, you know, we're in the South, it, it gets humid, somebody immediately knows where it goes. It just made things so much easier. And that was just something you don't think about until you have to solve why isn't this where it needs to be? Yeah, color coding, we use that a lot too. So different color cards for um, things you're going to purchase versus things you're going to manufacture. Different color cards for different vendors, perhaps. You know, if you have like two or three vendors, each one can have their own color. Um, even putting logos on it, you know, like just anything you can think of that'll simplify the process and make it more visual. And it sounds really elementary, but man, does it make a difference. And you can train people faster, get them up to speed with what you're doing, and it just makes things so much easier. I know we've all had this experience. We're organizing the warehouse. We're doing Kanban. We're putting all these systems into place, and then somebody forgets to do it. And people get frustrated because they put so much work in it. So once the work is done, what's the proper way to make sure the team understands it so they want to do it? Train it like crazy and then make it a daily thing that you reinforce. So again, another lean uh, principle that we use really well is um, 5S. We call it 6S because we add the extra uh, S, which is safety. But that stands for, and again, you're going to put me on the spot here, sort, set in order, shine, standardize, and sustain. So sort meaning you sort everything out, you get rid of things you don't need, set in order, a place for everything, everything in its place. So as you saw in our warehouse, we have taped out spots for everything from the tape gun to the skid jack, right? Everything has its own location and it's called out and labeled. Sort, set in order, shine. Shine is cleaning, keeping things clean, eliminating sources of dirt. Standardize is making it the same everywhere. So again, if we're going to implement a... Um, a Kanban system in one spot, we want to make sure it works seamlessly in another and we have them as similar things. We're going to standardize it all. And then sustain is that toughest part. That's always the one people struggle with. And think about yourself in your car, for example, right? Like once a, once a week, once a month, you clean that thing. It's shiny. It looks so good. And then for the next week, you let it just get gross and dirty and you have like, you know, takeout bags in there or whatever. So it's really that sustain part of it. And what we do is every day, for the last 15 minutes of the day, all of our folks organize their, their work areas. They make sure they're back in, in the spot they need to be so that the next day, when they come in at the very stroke of eight, they're ready to hit the ground running. They don't have to look for products. They don't have to find things. And we have our team then go around and spot check as well. So they'll score themselves each day. Did I check all those boxes? Are they green? Is everything set in order, shine, standardize, sustain, uh, and safe? And uh, if not, then we make notes and say, hey, and red isn't bad, by the way. And that's one of the things that we call out all the time. Just because it's not green, it's red. That's okay. That's good. It's an opportunity to improve. Why? Why did that happen? And we focus on the process, not the people with these things, right? What about the process broke down that didn't allow you to be successful? And now let's fix that. Brian, several times you've mentioned use your resources. What are some resources we should be using? First, as water treaters, you're always in manufacturing facilities, or at least oftentimes in manufacturing facilities. So if you notice that they have a lean program in place, steal the ideas, you know? Like, like I did. Yeah. What does research and development stand for? Rip off and duplicate. So, um, so yeah, take those ideas, ask questions, and, and start to build out that network of people that can support you with that. Just having an, an outside set of eyes walk into your facility and walk around with you and look at what you're doing 
they can suggest things or give you ideas. And one of the places we've gotten a ton of help is um, through an organization called Mantech. And oddly enough, the the Ketricks mentioned this on their podcast with you recently, that they use them for some other family business services. But we use Mantech and they're part of the Manufacturing uh, Extension Partnership, which is through NIST. And um, they actually help find funding to support some of the training that we do around lean manufacturing. Uh, we still send multiple people a year to their Lean 101 course, uh, where they actually will teach them these things that I've talked about, right? Like 6S and downtime and non-value add time and things like that. But they've been super helpful for us. And through them, we've actually built out a great network of like-minded companies in our area. Hanover, oddly enough, is a just a hotbed of manufacturing. It doesn't make sense. It's in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. But um, so many different types of manufacturing there. And so now we have this great network of like-minded organizations we can reach out to and say, hey, can I come check out your facility and see how you're handling Kanban? Can I come see how you've implemented your success program? Whatever it might be. And so we kind of we work with them on that. And through that, we actually have tours of our facility too. So we'll have 20 practitioners of lean come through our facility and tell us things that they noticed that they liked and things that they think we could improve upon. And so can you imagine having 20 lean consultants come through your facility? It's it's awesome, right? You walk away with this huge list of things that we can now go and improve upon based off their tour of the facility. What's been one of the silliest things initially you thought you were implementing and it just had wild success at your organization? Oof. Uh, honestly, this most recent thing that they're doing with the, uh, the up theme to drive our continuous, it, it's taken our continuous improvement program to a whole new level because these ideas have to come from the production floor. They can't come from, you know, the management team or from, you know, the CEO or somebody like that. It has to come from the people that are doing the work, the folks that are on the floor. And so just having Kyle put on that silly aviator hat and running around our production floor has had such an impact on our business. It's been wild. And then the other thing we do, and, and you'll love this, Trace, to encourage some of these things too, we give out gas cards. So as you know, we like to use the acronym GAS at Aqua Phoenix. And because this is a, uh, a rated show and I don't want to get you blacklisted, it stands for give a shoot, right? So G-A-S. And so we give out gas cards to our employees whenever they show that they, they have it, that they're, that they're giving a crap. And they're out there working their butts off. So when they have these good ideas, he puts on that silly aviator hat. I'll have to give you a photo of that and hands them a gas card. I love that. That's fantastic. What would you say your top warehouse management tips are? So I guess number one is have an open mind, right? And and be willing to admit that you're wrong or that things aren't working. And I think that's that's one of the first places you have to start. You have to get comfortable with that. Change management is another thing you really have to get good at early on is making sure that people are comfortable being uncomfortable Uh, because to do it and to do it well, you really have to be willing to change things, move things and do it differently than than you did the day before. Getting help from the outside is another big one, right? If you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. Go find somebody that can help guide you through that and train your folks so that you can start to take it over yourself. Think about information flow as much as product flow. That's another big thing to consider. So, you know, as as you're laying out your facility, you're thinking about how material comes in, what happens to it, how it goes back out and trying to make that as efficient as possible. But the information part of that is almost as important as the actual material, right? How does the work order get to where it gets or how does somebody know to order something or to ship something or whatever it might be? So think about those things. 
cleanliness every day. Like it sounds crazy, but just having a clean, organized space. And you mention this all the time, even in your your test station or in your uh, mechanical rooms at your customer sites. Have it clean. Keep it clean. It, it, you'd be surprised how much happier everybody is, how much safer it is. Uh, all those things that kind of go along with it. And uh, I guess the last one is try things. Don't be afraid, right? And fail fast. So implement quick. If it doesn't work, great. Do something different. Try it. Um, but the worst thing you can do is stay stagnant and stay right where you are. You know, you're just never going to move ahead if you stay in that comfort zone. Brian, we've been talking about warehouse management. I know you like to find the next thing to elevate yourself personally. Any tips for the audience on that? The thing I say there is just go get it, right? Like go look for that information. Don't sit back and and say, woe is me, I, I can't, you know, I'm not improving or people aren't giving me this information. And there's plenty of places that you can can accomplish that. Again, find your local MEP network that can help you with the manufacturing side of things. AWT has been a great spot. I volunteer there. I'm on a couple of different committees and um, I head up the young professionals group now. So another great spot. And then um, I also, you know, part of the, the mastermind that Trace put together. And so building out those places like the mastermind and AWT and building that network of folks that you can rely on and ask questions of, I think is just so important because it is tough. These things aren't easy. You're doing it for the first time and trying to learn it. So don't make the silly mistakes we did over the years. Ask somebody for help so you kind of avoid some of those uh, and can get to where you're getting a little bit quicker. And if somebody wants to find out more about Aquaphenic Scientific, what should they do? Check out our website, uh, www.aquaphenicside.com or call me. I, you know, you'll put my cell phone number in there, I'm sure. I'd love to hear from people. Shoot me a text. Um, send me a picture if you're doing some cool stuff in your facility, You know, some, some neat ideas or things you have on, on lean principles or lean concepts. I'd, I'd love to see that. And I will say the best hats in all of water treatment. <laughs> Thank you. We appreciate that. And I will say too, our door is always open. Right. So if you're in the Hanover area, uh, we're about an hour north of BWI, about 45 minutes south of Harrisburg, really close to Gettysburg. So if, you, if you're out there traveling, to see the Gettysburg battlefield or go to Hershey uh, with the kids or something like that. Please stop by and see us. Um, you could give me a five minute heads up and we'll walk you through the facility. I mentioned the cleanliness part. We, we have a, a joke at Aqua Phoenix called tour ready. And so we keep our facility tour ready at all times. We have a, a person who does nothing but drive around on a floor scrubber, cleaning our floors all day, every day, picking up trash, wiping down walls, all those things so that our facility, any day you come into it, looks like we are ready for our biggest, you know, most expensive, best possible customer in the whole wide world because our employees are that important, right? We want to make sure it's clean and safe for them. I love that. You know who else does that is Chick-fil-A. You, you know, you can go into any Chick-fil-A and ask for a tour and they're supposed to give it to you. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Interesting. We go. We're learning all sorts of new things. I think we actually got the idea from Steve Dumbler back in the day, oddly enough. So I remember going to, to Texas into his facility with Frank one time. And this is years and years and years ago. But uh, I just remember seeing his floor scrubber there. And Frank and I were both like, what do you have a floor scrubber for? And he's like, every day we scrub the floor, you know, just because we have a chemical facility doesn't mean it can't be clean. And so we just kind of both looked at each other like, yeah, that'd be cool. So sure enough, we got a floor scrubber and we've had one ever since. Is it like one of those drivable ones, like a floor Zamboni? Yeah. Yeah. We started with one of the, the walk behinds and then now we have, I think we're on our, I think we wore out our first one. We're on our second one already. So it's one of the sit on tops that you just drive around. Yep. Well, Brian, Mowing your grass, you have heard these lightning round questions so many times. Now you are in the hot seat. Are you ready to go? 
I am ready. Can't wait. All right. Question number one. If you could go back in time and talk to your former self on your very first day at Aquaphoenix Scientific, what advice would you give yourself? I would say don't wait for others to teach you or, or get you to where you want to get. Figure that out. Set some, some goals that you want to achieve and then put a plan in place to get there and, and go seek that information and, and do that learning on your own. I was fortunate, again, to be surrounded by a guy like Frank and, and so many good folks. But taking ownership for it myself, I think, is something I wish I had done a little better when I was younger. So I'm going to change this question just slightly. What are some of your favorite lean books that we should be reading? Uh, so the goal is by far the book to, to read. If you have no idea what lean is, I would definitely start by, by reading the goal. It's just such a good book that kind of gives you that easy guide into it and tells just great stories about Herbie and uh, who's the fat kid. Who, they're walking on a hike and Herbie's the bottleneck of the hike with the kids. So uh, it's just some good stories in there and it's a great book. Yeah. So that's on the lean side is, is uh, the goal. But, you know, oddly enough, I've I just this year finally got into reading books, which I have not been huge into doing. And I want to clarify because my fiance will probably listen to this at some point. I don't read books. I listen to them. And she points it out to me all the time whenever I say, hey, I just read this book. She's like, no, no, you listen to that book. There's nothing wrong with that. I know. So uh, somehow I got on a Jocko Willenick kick. Um, he also has a pretty decent podcast I like to listen to, a former Navy SEAL. So the first book I read of his was Discipline Equals Freedom, which was a great book. And he does a great job, I think, of mixing in real world examples, talking about the concept, and then also applying it to business sort of in that order. So it just, uh, I don't know, it was a really good read. And that led me into um, The Dichotomy of Leadership, which is another book he read, which again, I just really enjoyed. And so, and now at this point, I'm actually going through Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, which is a really cool book too. So um, I got about an hour left to listen on that one. What's been your favorite mastermind book that we've read together? Oh, geez. Um, I, don't, I think Drew Dudley's book was a good one. I really did. I like that one quite a bit. Just kind of changed my perspective a bit on how I view my days and, and how I think about life. So I think that was a good one. I like that one. Drew was the keynote speaker at the AWT convention in Vancouver, and we read his book in the Rising Tide Mastermind. And I think his book was uh, a lot of common sense put together, but he did it in a way that you didn't really commonly practice. And my biggest takeaway from his book is how we do core values. And we've always been really big on core values, just like you guys. And he asked the question, what did you do today to fulfill that core value? And I love that. Yeah, I try to have that mindset when I wake up in the morning, too. Like, you know, again, he just sort of reinforced it. But I wake up every morning and think it's the best day ever. You know, like I just I have to start my day thinking that, that it's going to be a great day and I'm going to achieve great things. And it just, uh, like I said, his book kind of reinforced that for me. When Hollywood listens to this podcast, they are immediately going to make a movie about Brian Goose Katarski. Who is playing Goose? If we could go in the Wayback Machine, I don't know if anybody's done this before, but if we could bring John Wayne back to play me, that would be like the ultimate for me. If I could get, uh, get a classic John Wayne to play me, that would be great. But if we have to go modern day, gosh, I don't know. Maybe Vince Vaughn or somebody like that. I think he's funny as can be. So I think that would be a good one. Final question. You now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout time. Who would it be with and why? This one I think about all the time, Trace, when you do the uh, the lightning round questions with people. And it's my grandfather, my mom's uh, my mom's dad. So 
Gilbert James Hutter. I got a, I have photos of him actually on my wall here in my office. That guy never got through eighth grade. He was a, a dairy farmer. And what I didn't know as a kid and didn't appreciate was that I thought he just got dirty and drove tractors, you know, like that's what Pap did. But that guy was running like a multi-million dollar business. He was an entrepreneur. He was taking risks and doing things that other farmers and other dairies in our area weren't doing. Uh, we had our own bottling plant, all these things. And so I never had a chance to have adult, grown-up conversations with him uh, once I actually understood what business truly was. And I just wish like heck I could sit down with him and, and talk through some of those things that he did and show him where I am today. And he would just be so proud of me. I know it. So it would be great to talk to my pap. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Uh, without a doubt, I know so many people are motivated to organize and make things easier for everybody. And you gave us some steps to take towards that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's taking the first step, right? That's what you got to start somewhere. So just recognize the problem and, and do something about it. Make tiny little improvements and you'd be surprised how quickly they add up. So appreciate it, Trace. Thank you so much. I can't tell you, Nation, how difficult it was to call him Brian. I've called him Goose for probably 20 years now. And old habits die hard. So I probably switched in and out when I was calling Brian Goose or Goose Brian. So my apologies for that. I tell you, he took the information that we talked about with how to organize and get people to communicate around a warehouse, around a process and just really ran with it and was just such a wealth of information. I shared with you during the interview and at the top of the show how when I came back from Aquaphoenix, I could not wait to start putting some of those things into play. And immediately I did so. And you have to have a training aspect with that because I was excited. I had all this stuff. And I shared with some people, but not everybody shared with their team. So here's what I learned with that. You got to make sure you tell everybody what's going on. And you can't just do that once. You got to do it again. And then you got to do it again. And then you got to do it again. I heard once you have to do something seven times on average for people to start getting it to stick. So just think, last time you worked on a project and something did not go through all the different levels of your company the way it should, how many times did you communicate it? Yes, you did say it, but there's so much going on and we're so wrapped up in the day-to-day if we don't forcibly make new things heard it's just going to become noise. And a lot of times we get frustrated over that. Don't get frustrated. It's just the way that it is. And just remember, leaders are repeaters. So how many times did you repeat what it was that was new until it wasn't new anymore? You know, one of my favorite Kanban stories is when I introduce Kanban to my household because it works so well at the office and my wife did not appreciate Kanban cards on the ketchup and the mustard. I thought it was great. So once again, a public service, a word of warning, what works great 
in the office does not always translate well at home. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I will say I'm a huge fan of EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and we do a Level 10 meeting. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, Level 10 references the rating that you give the meeting, and the best meeting ever gets a rating of 10. The worst meeting ever gets a rating of 1. And if we look at most meetings that we have, they're probably an average of 3. So the level 10 concept is how do we make every meeting a 10? And there's a whole series within the EOS platform how to run a level 10 meeting and all the things that people need to do to step up to make that a level 10. It's not the facilitator's job. It's everybody's job to make that a level 10. So I brought that at home. Now, I will say the format that works in the office does not work at home. But if you are not getting with your family and talking about what their week looks like and what lessons were learned the previous week and how can we make that better this upcoming week, I think you're missing an opportunity. And it might seem like a business meeting, but in my family, it's really opened up a lot of dialogue. And we've also realized that we've got a lot going on and we can help each other through that. And if we didn't know all the things that were going on, now we're planning in the moment and that's called an emergency. And folks, I just don't like those. I don't like having to switch my day around because I didn't plan well. I want to plan well and have my day work as systematically as it can. Of course, we know our day is going to throw so much chaos within itself that it's always hard to do that. But the more we plan, the more we know, the easier it is to try to do that. So that's one thing that I think you can do that will work at home. But if you want to try Kanban and put cards on your ketchup and your mayonnaise and your crackers, let me know how that works for you. Again, did not work well for me, but it does work great at the office. Here's the great thing about our industry. I have really never met anybody, well, maybe a few, but they are very few and far between, that just doesn't enjoy talking about their successes and letting you know how you can copy them. Hey, we had this huge problem with our logistics, and this is what we did. And if we had to do it over again, this is how we would do it. It's amazing how people will share what they were not good at how they became better at it, and now how they are experts and what you need to do to get further faster than they did. Uh, That's one of the reasons that I started the Mastermind, the Rising Tide Mastermind. That's what we do each and every week. We will get on a call. It is a Zoom call. We will share wins, and then we get into what we call in the middle. And in the middle is where somebody has an issue. And folks, it can be anything. Sometimes it's technical. Sometimes it's personal. Sometimes it's relational. It can be pretty much anything that member is having an issue with. And when was the last time you had a sounding board where you could say, hey, everybody, I'm having a problem with this. And everybody in that room is interested. And everybody in that room wants to learn more on how you've experienced that so they can see the issue through your lens. 
And then everybody wants to offer you advice so you don't have to start from step one. You can start from three, four, five, or six, and then you report back to everybody, and they are just as excited that you've solved this issue with you. It's just amazing. So teams is what? Everybody achieves more together. Everybody achieves more. Well, I guess there's some truth to that. But I will tell you what's true is life is too short to do it alone. And there's so many things that we have in our lives that we are doing alone. And folks, you don't have to. So I'm not saying the Rising Tide Mastermind is right for you. It might be. There might be another mastermind that's right for you. There might be another group that's right for you. But I will say if you are going through problems and life alone, you are doing life wrong. It's too hard that way. It's not fun that way. So find a group. Maybe this is the right one. Maybe there's another one out there. But find a group that will help you process all the difficult stuff that you're going through in your life so you can go through it a little bit easier. You can go through it a little bit faster, and you're definitely going to have a lot more fun in the process. Nation, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Again, very close to episode 300 So much going on in the world, and now we have almost 300 episodes of Scaling Up H2O. Nation, you're going to have another brand new episode next Friday. Until then, I hope you have a great week. Take care, everybody. Scaling Up Nation, you asked for it, and it is here. So many of you are taking the Certified Water Technologist examination and you're wanting to get better information on how to better answer the mock exam. Now, this is the exam that you get when you sign up for the CWT exam. Well, I have heard your request and I've done exactly that. I have recorded a class that has exactly what you've been asking for. It is me answering each one of the questions and letting you know why I chose certain answers. And of course, everybody wants me to do math and I do all the math on the mock exam. So you can see how to get the right answer. And I hope this is something that will help build your confidence so you can get your certification. You can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Get out there and get your certification today.